Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Cliff Dorfman Show. We're back, and I, I'm very, very excited. Jason Smith, my cohort. That's CEO, me. CEO, intern. intern. CEO Starburns and my intern. Yep. I'm very excited about today. I want to get right into it, but I, I, first of all, this guy's been a friend of mine for a long time, but that's not a brag. It might be a humble brag, but it's definitely the reason he's here, because there's no other reason he's coming by the studio to do this show. I'm always impressed that you can keep long-term friends as long as you do. It's the Jewish guilt. <laughs> I just, I, Steven, listen, I understand. Oh, wait, I said his name. I didn't even want to say it. Listen, all right, let me get into it then, because I already said his name. I fucked it up, because even though we're not live, I feel like everything's live. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today, our guest, very dear friend, but put that aside. He is by far yeah. one of the most talented actors in the business today, living or dead, as far as I'm concerned. This guy has done it all. I mean, you know him from Blade. You know, he was winning awards on TV when he was six, seven years old, like the, the Muffin Man. Let, let me tell you, okay? Power One, Rocky, little movie that he did. Pick this guy out of everyone in town. Like, I can't tell you, I think 100,000 people might have auditioned for this one role in Power One. Fucking this guy gets it. And of course, by the way, there was no one in town at the time who didn't think he was going to get it. You just have to sit here and listen to this, sorry. And then he goes on, he does Blade. I mean, he does, this is not an accident. Like He does True Detective, and they're trying to get him into TV, and he's like, okay, I'll dip my toe and I'll do a season of True Detective. And he does it, and it fucking crushes. And then, like, you know, he's friends with Lee Daniels, he gets him a little on Empire, he gets a, he's like, oh, well, maybe I could do TV if it's something good. And then he decides, finally, to do TV, and he's got a fucking... The, the, Best show on Fox, a hit show. I mean, this show, thank God Fox did something like this, aside from Empire. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I could go on for at least another 30 seconds, but I'm not because I'm really excited. Stephen Dorf. Hey, thanks, Cliff. Yeah, man. <laughs> Glad it happened. Jason, you excited as I am? I am very excited. I've been excited about this all week. I know, I have too. And and it was like an up and down. Every time I got a text, I was like, oh, please don't be Stephen canceling. <laughs> please don't be Stephen canceling. All right. By the way, we should just give a nod to our friend Ryan who's in the room just overseeing shit. That's all he does. Uh, <laughs> so, Stephen, let me start my show like I always start my show, which is just with this simple statement. You were born here, L.A.? I was born in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, but I moved. I moved to Hollywood, uh, the Valley, when I was um, like three months old. So you don't have any recollection of Atlanta? Not really. No, my dad was just uh, going to college at University of Georgia, and so my mom was visiting him. Had me. They're from New York, and then uh, they fit that into one trip. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> well, she was she? pregnant, visiting him, and then everybody, she? <laughs> everybody knows the hospitals in Georgia <laughs> far outweigh the New York. Hospitals. Oh yeah, far. <laughs> but the uh, yeah no, and then we moved to the valley because my dad was uh, kind of a struggling new songwriter, and he was sent here by a publisher, and then uh, yeah, we had this little apartment. Wait, so your dad was a, a struggling songwriter at this time? Yeah, he was a kid. You know, you're a baby. Yeah, right, so you're a few months old, and a publisher says to him. Moved to L.A., which is not really the thing for... He's writing country? He's writing... Yeah, he's writing just songs, you know? He's writing pop, He doesn't country. care. Yeah, he's just kind of... Whatever. You know, out of college, needed some money, and then uh, came here and then had a meeting with uh, um, a guy named Snuff Garrett, who was uh, a big publisher at the time, who uh, in the 70s, 80s, he, he kind of did all Clint Eastwood stuff and, mm. you know, uh, Sammy Davis and all Dean Martin and all these guys. He was wow. kind of a big Hollywood Snuff kind Garrett. of music guy. And then, yeah, my dad, uh, Snuff liked my dad and um, gave him his start. And basically my dad then wrote uh, his first hit was Every Which Way But Loose from the Clint Eastwood movie. I mean, with Clyde the orangutan. 
Yeah. I, one of my favorites, Sandra Locke. That's where Clint Eastwood met Sandra Locke. Yeah. So he could say your dad had something to do with that. Every Which Way But Loose, he wrote that song. Yeah, yeah. And Every so Which song, Way But Loose. Yeah, that, that song kind of put him on the it. map. And I played like, that on the piano. Yeah. Yeah, I had the sheet music. I bought it. Yeah, guy. I fucking love that. Your dad wrote that? Yeah. How did I not know that? I knew he wrote yeah, a lot of songs. Yeah, that was his first big hit, and then, then he wrote That's Through huge. the Years. And uh, Okay, wait, so how old are you when he writes that song? I'm a baby. I'm like, I think a year old. You know? So he didn't waste any time. Three months, moved to L.A. Within Nine months later... You started know, you, doing all Clint's movies, writing all the writing all the songs. For, you know, Merle Haggard sang one of them, Coca Cola Cowboy. He did all those orangutan movies, and then he did a lot of Clint's movies. I always gave my dad <laughs> a lot of monkey movies. All those orangutan movies. BJ and the Bear. Yeah, what, what was funny was Clint also loved, I guess, doing music, and so he, at a certain point, um, my dad stopped working with Clint um but that's when Clint started making really good movies so I was like <laughs> I was like dad why didn't you do the unforgiven or like million dollar baby I mean you, you're doing all the you know Bronco Billy and any which way you can and so all the 70s age, movies you were very discriminating we can yeah. just we can say that you had a very discriminating but they palette. remained yeah they remained close though and Clint was like uh, I think a, a real um um real nice guy and I mean I've met him a couple times through the years but I haven't uh, worked for him ever yet yeah. yeah, he's going to be making movies for another 30 years, so I'm sure you're yeah, going to do like one real soon. Yeah, he'll be like 120 making another yeah. one. It's yeah. like Moses, that guy. <laughs> there's no, there's no, wait, so so you're now, you're a year old, whatever, do they move? Because imagine you're living in like a, a studio apartment, a bedroom. And oh yeah, like, we had like the full 70s kind of low low end apartment uh, <laughs> on, on Tahunga Avenue, but we're, we're like... Uh, that Robert Blake thing happened. Yeah, by murder, uh, or, Vitello's. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. It was Good right food. down the street from there. Seth MacFarlane plays upstairs there sometimes. Oh, does he? Yeah, it's a weird little jazz thing going on there. Um, he, uh, yeah, no. So yeah, but we moved a few times because as my dad did better, I started going to school, private school. So where'd so, you go to school? Elementary. Where were you going? Like uh, the first one I went to was a school called the Country School, which was uh, on um, Laurel Canyon. It was it's, kind of it, it was kind of a kindergarten to third or fourth grade and mm -hmm. i was there i stayed there for a little bit and then i went to a school called campbell hall right which is infamous which, now it's 100 yeah. grand a year to go to yeah. campbell hall it's, it's like a college when I, you, yeah you see the campus they built yeah, on laurel it's insane it's it's fucking nuts and then he started moving up into the like hills of the valley well we started we lived on a street called carpenter avenue and then we moved across the street and my dad we kind of just kept upgrading i guess and well then, yeah that's what i'm seeing is happening right and as this is happening now you're at let's say campbell hall what, what, when do you is the muffin man you know don't be afraid of the muffin man right is that like one of your first jobs yeah, just, that was probably the first, like, one of my first theatrical TV movies. Which you were like, nominated for, let's just, right? I mean, that movie was nominated. I'm pretty I think sure. So. Will you look that up, please? Stephen was nominated for this. Ryan, do you know? He was nominated. I I'm think it was you. some, uh, there was certain. There, there was, was an Emmy Award. There was something you were not, I'm telling you, that was not, this is the first thing the fucking guy does. It's not a joke. So I, I had done some TV, though. I had done, like, some. Like yeah, little Ro things. Roseanne and little things. But right. that was actually, yeah. I mean, I started, with, the first things I ever did was, uh commercials you know i just this agent saw me at, at campbell hall i think in this drama class is this before the, are you still an only child or is andrew born at this point no andrew was born uh how old are you when andrew was born i was i andrew was uh four three years younger than me so I okay was, so you were five he's two. Oh yeah. no i'm sorry i can't do math why would where did that happen he's no i get it yeah i was three You're when three. he was born I get, yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. and then uh Whew. yeah so yeah I, you know what to I went to all so these. you're at Campbell Hall, and it, you're saying an agent sees you at Campbell Hall? Yeah, I was in like some, I don't know, young actors. There was a young actors kind of work um, workshop that I went to when I was young. I was okay. like maybe 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
and at that at the end of the what's making you want to do that though like you know is it because your dad's in the arts and you yeah i mean basically not, watching right? being on set with my dad like a couple times just when he would do a set visit or something or go meet a director i'd go with him and like, I'd what be, do you remember what first i set? remember a kid on the set and i remember going why is how does he do this you know ah. and where does he go to school do you remember? and they're like he goes to school on the set and i was like oh, oh that's doable i should do this you know and what, do you remember what set that was i think it was i want to say it might have been an eastwood movie Movie back, or it might have been. Uh, I want to. Uh, I can't remember. But uh, all right, so you see this kid on the set, and this kid is like, you're like, I want to do what this kid's doing. You tell your dad, or you just go into school, and you're like, is there some theater thing going on? In no, school? I told my mom. I, I said I, I should do this acting thing, and I think she was a little uh, hesitant about it because <laughs> a I needed to do better in school, which I wasn't doing great in, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, and also, she was worried that, you know, a business like this, when you're a young kid and, you know, rejection, that, you know, you got to have tough skin. And is that going to screw Steven up more, you know? Oh, more. And, so uh, there was already a, a modicum of the fact that you were screwed up to some degree. I was pretty much, I was definitely, a, you know, a different kind of kid. I was a creative <laughs> kind of kid. I wasn't really into the normal thing at school that every other kid wanted to do. I, I You know, I liked sports, but I wasn't like a diehard athlete. I wasn't... Uh, um, you know, going to get a scholarship to play basketball, mm-hmm. you know, so it wasn't like there was just other interests that I had. And I wanted I, what I really wanted was the freedom to be outside of a classroom with a million other kids doing the same thing. I wanted to kind of be with adults and be working. And so it was weird. I had this kind of cool work ethic. And once my mom realized, all right, I go on these auditions. If I didn't get it, I'd be like, ah, fuck it. You know, and <laughs> she'd be like, wow, he was, he was, born, he was had... born for this. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my dad was always kind of a quiet, you know, the kind of melody guy. And he wasn't, <laughs> my mom was really the, you know, the stronger parent of the two. My dad mm-hmm. was a great dad, but he, and loving and supportive, but he was kind of you know, sure. Yeah, he's if he an wants artist to act, let him act. Right, you, know, like whatever, you know, my um, mom was more kind of worried about the everyday. How will this affect Stephen? You know, right. But ultimately, you know, um, what was interesting was I was going on all these auditions. Once this agent saw me at this class and said, "Could we sign him for commercials and TV?" Do you and, remember the agency? Um, yeah, it was like the Sue Golden Talent Agency. And Sue, uh, I love that. All right, Sue, no longer Sue Golden. I, 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 right, I, I we don't, don't know. know. All right, we're going. But um, I love it. you know, and I had this. Um, and so I started doing these commercials, but I was going up against all these stage parents, kids, you know, where the parents- being coached. It's like Yeah, the parents were kids. like, you know, yeah, you better Mick. get this job or we're going to have to live on the street. <laughs> yeah, they're all thing. like Mickey. Right. I was lucky to have a, you know, a, a dad who was doing well and uh, we were in a pretty comfortable, you know, we weren't filthy rich, but my dad was starting to become a very successful songwriter. So he was paying for- You were there because you wanted to be. And really. I wanted to do it. Right, yeah. that's so, why you were there. Otherwise, you could have done whatever you wanted. Yeah, right. so ultimately that kind of led to TV episodic kind of guest star things. And there was a real small club of us that were, when we got into the movie biz- um, What was go, the club? Going up for movies. It was kind of a small, you know- club it was basically you know in the age group it was like you know dicaprio me matt damon um matt damon that young he was going up for it yeah sean astin was in the mix Mm. then uh remember that but matt damon was a little older than me and leo was like a year younger than me Mm -hmm. but for a minute there when we started doing features it was like every part was either going to this guy, my, me, or him, or that guy, and we'd always see each other in these and, in and these at the callbacks. Tests, and at the, mostly yeah. you were testing, so it was like yeah. So it was a w- real weird thing to when you know there weren't cell phones, there weren't you know it was a different 
completely different world of you know movies, TV. We're very separate, whereas now it's just one big clusterfuck of oh, streaming, of fame, and, you know, and, and, and content. Yeah. And How much you got? What do you got? Yeah, where do we watch it? Uh, okay, hey, you have a new show on Fox. I don't have normal TV. Well, watch it on Hulu. Watch it on, you know, I don't know. What yeah, but there's fuck. not all the episodes aren't there right now. I know. Why aren't all the episodes there? I want to yeah. watch all 13 right now. Yeah, they're just all crazy. Yo, just chill the fuck out for a minute, dude. So, so, you know, yeah, I mean, growing up, I grew up basically with families on, on these sets, you know, with the crew and learning how to work with adults as a kid. And, and then when I was 17, going back to Power of One, I, that was really my first... You know, beyond the gate and some of the things I did when I was young, young. Yeah, but that's, the power of one was like, wow, okay. I'm that was Stephen Dorff is, you know, and, and let, let's back up for a second because it is such a huge, not only accomplishment, but milestone. Because at that time, especially, I think it's really important to differentiate where the business was. There weren't all these movies or superhero movies. There were a certain amount of movies that the studios were making. And there was a very, 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 very small amount that someone like yourself can test for and possibly get to get a lead role in a studio film. Yeah, it was really It was unheard rare. of. It, it was, was like you, Matthew McConaughey, did it with um, when Joel Schumacher put him in uh, Time, Time to, to Kill. kill. Right. Right, but it, it was one of these things where it almost never happened. So Yeah, it was hard to kind of not, you know, you'd have an ensemble movies and horror things, but you wouldn't. You right, know, but people would build with, up yeah. to it. And it wouldn't just be like, you know, here's this guy and he's the lead. But wait, let's get there. So you. <laughs> you do Roseanne, you do, and then you do the Muffin Man, right? Which again, I, I know it yeah, seemed I think like I was weirdly obsessed when but... I did that. I think that was maybe before Roseanne. It but was... you're paying, you're playing younger, right? You're really like, did you look it up, Jason? Yeah. Tell me what's going on. He's nominated for a Young Artist Award. See, and yeah. and the the show itself was nominated for Primetime Emmys for direction and music composition. Right, right. And, and, and I believe Jordan itself. Jordan Kerner and uh, Gil Cates, who was the head of the Academy for a while, they that was like my first. Getting a, a that TV movie was I had done a couple other ones, but it's kind of it's brilliant. And you're an abused child, and this yeah. you know uh, sexually abused. Child. I mean, this is a really deep, especially for the time period on yeah. broadcast. It was TV. John Avnet and Jordan Kerner that produced that, and they had produced some of my favorite films, like going back to Brett Easton Ellis. They produced Less Than Zero. They produced uh, John Risky Bin, Risky Business, and John was a big producer then. He hadn't started directing, but it was uh, oh. that was pretty cool. And I just remember John Avnet coming to the set in a white Porsche, you know, uh, Carrera, and I'd be like, God damn, these guys are so cool. And, <laughs> and I remember they took me to, like, Aspen or Utah, went skiing with them, and they... they, they this is when you doing Muffin like, Man. Yeah, this they, is like, before. a couple years later, right. as I, they were kind of like my... Jordan, Jordan Kerner and John are still friends of mine, and, and they, uh, you know, when I see them, I give them a big hug. I mean, that was really my first... Gil Cates passed away, but um, I know his son, Gil Jr., and Gil was a was a great director for, uh, so yeah, I, I, it was nominated for some Emmys. I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't. No, it acted itself. Hey, apparently. thanks, Emmys. Yeah, no, apparently the movie acted itself, but yeah, great. So let's... You fucked me on True Detective, too. Thanks, <laughs> well, Emmys. Yeah, and we'll get there. I mean, and, uh, amen to that. But, okay, that again, that acted itself. He did a great job by himself. You weren't there. There was no, nothing to lean on, right? How do you do? It yeah. just happened. Yeah. Sorry, I digress. Okay, so <laughs> I know I see what I said, but, but you really have to understand that Muffin Man was like, there were these movie of the weeks. I just have to tell our listeners, it's not like it is now. There were movie of the weeks, and maybe each network did three a year, and out of those, it was very rare that a kid was going to be one of the lead focal points of one of these movies. They were usually big TV big stars. Big TV stars, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Steven, and again, this is a repeating thing in your career. Steve, this happens to Steven. He'd done Roseanne, maybe, maybe not I don't even. I think right? I had done Roseanne. I, yeah. I remember this being your first thing. I feel like I'm right. That was one of my first, yeah, that was, I think I did one called Always Remember I Love You, too, which was a, one I did for. Uh, we could sell that Pam, to Lifetime. With Pam right Dauber. Now. Yeah, it was like a real tearjerker, too. <laughs> 
And then I did a smaller role in, the, in I Know My Name is Steven, that but the one that Corky Nemec yes. won, or he was nominated, nominated for an Emmy for, for yeah. I, okay, so you're- So what I got was, is- Tell me. Jason, what do you got? Do you know The Muffin Man came out in 1989, which I'm sure was taped way before, and Roseanne came, the, the, that arc was in 1989 also. So you did Muffin Man probably first. And Muffin then, Man was the buzz, and then everyone started flying around going, right. get this, do this, but do I this. Did, like, literally, like, I grew up, on all the shows I watched, I pretty much did a guest star yeah. on all of them. Like, I, read it I, off, Mar- Jason. Married with Children. No, read married it with off, Children, Jason. the new Leave It to Beaver show, which I do remember back <laughs> mm-hmm. from 1985. Read it off. Different Strokes, In Love and War. Different Strokes. Empty Nest, Married <laughs> with Children. I Know My Name is Steven. Right, that was a TV miniseries, right. yeah. And then, then... Then the power of one creeps up. Then the power up. of one creeps up. So you're doing, and you're doing very well. You're making money, and you've actually now manifested immediately what you saw on the set. You're like, that kid, he goes, are you going to school on the set now? I'm pretty much, yeah, I'm going to kind of, I've been, I've moved on from Campbell Hall at that point. I've been kind of asked to leave a few schools. Wait, wait, what, what happened? Why, why are we asked to well, leave no, Campbell bas- Hall? Basically just at that time, actors, it wasn't like a very friendly situation. Like Campbell Hall now, you had the Fannings went there. You have every actor goes there. I mean, you have all these kids. They love kid right. actors. They didn't really like when I would get a gig, what leave, did they want? leave for three weeks and come back. They thought it, they, they thought it kind of gave the wrong impression to the other kids or something. So like I had a couple people Yeah, ask, life can be this good. Yeah. Don't think that. The headmaster, <laughs> yeah, the headmaster at a school I went to where Jason Bateman and all these guys went was called Bel Air Prep, but, but it wasn't in Bel Air, it was on no. West Hollywood. But anyway, <laughs> LA. we got bussed over in a van, me, Drew Barrymore, the Valley Kids got bussed over to this What's Pri- going on in that van? Private school. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's it was, you it was and me, Drew? My and fr- me, Drew, and my friend Terrence Morgan, who is Harry Morgan's grandson from MASH. And Terrence was like a, a fucking crazy? army guy, always in like fatigues. And Nowadays, had, you just get arrested immediately had, if you get on a school yeah, bus dressed oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, he, he looked like <laughs> the shooter. A, a shooter. Right, you know like a mean? school shooter. And funny enough, he ended up going into the army and was in Somalia when oh. the Black Hawk Down thing went down. He mm-hmm. also now has all these kids and is the head prop armorer for like CSI or one of these big shows. And does he have all the mash money? Oh yeah, no, no. He's just, uh, I think this is just his job. He just always was great with all that stuff uh, butterfly uh, knives he was the friend you know you always had a friend that probably <laughs> had something i that had one you'd never seen or p- pulls out a switchblade and i'm no. like whoa where'd you get that you know. studded wooden nunchucks that they bought at the, yeah he was yep. the guy he, and he yeah. was one of my best friends terrence and uh it's i ran into terrence, him drew, drew barrymore yeah, oh yeah it was van. me terrence drew barrymore and a couple <laughs> others because we were like the junior high guys and then jason bateman and all the uh, amanda anko who is his wife and they all were seniors Met back then, Amanda and Jason. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this is what I'm saying. This is what sprouts out from the, you know, the artistic community that grows here. So you're meeting all these people. You end up working with most of them in some capacity, I'm sure. But let's, let's get back to it. So you're at school. You've left Campbell Hall. They were like, I've been, really a, into yeah, you. I've been to a few different schools and, and getting my books from there as I started working. And then when Power of One came on, it was like, whoa, I'm not 18 yet, so I needed a guardian, but I'm going to England and You're Africa 17. for a year. You it's know? so funny you say that because I remember when it happened and you, I, I always thought you were older because of it. Mm. You know, because I was like, this guy's just fucking flying everywhere and like private, like what's going on? So wait, let's get there because I want to talk about Power of One and the process you had to go through because Abnett yeah. you knew from Muffin Man. Actually, right? I didn't know John Avnet. No, I knew John Avnet, but that, that uh, John Avildsen is. Oh, who, John Avildsen yeah, is who Avildsen did, right? did Rocky and all right. the Karate Kids, and I grew up watching his films, and he was an amazing filmmaker. And he's doing this big book, Power One, about apartheid in South Africa. Yeah, at this and time. I read that script, and I was like, "Holy shit!" You know, this is a 
this is rare. You're right. There wasn't very many movies where about something as serious with actors like Sir John Gielgud, Morgan Freeman, Armin Mueller-Stahl, all these incredible, you know, thespians. And I was like, Jesus, you know. And so I started the auditioning process. Literally never been through something like that in my life. And I think to this day I credit, I still credit John Avildsen for for teaching me a lot of things. One is he never really, um, well, I'll take you back to the beginning. Please. So the beginning was... You read for the part, right? And uh, the acting is, is what he's looking for. You so go you, to the casting director, so, yeah, right? Yeah, so you, so you read for the casting director. Then I go to John's house, and I read for him. And he videos me. He was very big with this JVC camera. It was before, obviously, it's cell 91, phones. right? Oh, yeah, he has these, this big fucking camcorder, and he's, like, really into it, and he's got two cameras set up, and he's cutting sizes, and he, all well, in this audition. All for this audition. Yeah, so then I pass that. Then it's that, about... Jason, you hearing that? Oh, yeah. That's a serious fucking director. So yeah. then he all says, right. then he says, all right, go, uh, you're going to go to the Benny the Jet Center in the Valley, which is this kickboxing gym, you know, and I'm like, all right. Oh, so yeah, go, Benny the Jet. So I go, Benny the Jet, and I meet this guy, Bill Wallace, who was Bill Superfoot Wallace, wow. who was the, you know, kickboxing champion. He's like this kind of older, gruff, tough dude. And he puts me in a gym, and he's, yeah, I'm starting to do sit-ups. And now, shit. are you so any the, other actors around you doing this? Not yet. Okay. So then, like... I, I, so you're yeah. one of the first ones they're considering uh, for this, and now... I'm in the mix, but now it's like, wow, okay, uh, now... They got I you. Go, you don't have the part. They got you in a gym. You're oh, up yeah. at Avilton's house, and so now still, I'm going to the gym every morning at doesn't nine doesn't happen a, anymore. A.m., but then I get there, and I see uh, Rick Schroeder, and then mm. I see Sean Astin, mm. and then I see all these other kids coming and going is your no in the gym in this group session training to the point where i wanted to puke at the end of it i mean my body wouldn't change that much i was 17 (laughs) i was like i couldn't get ripped even if i tried but did you want to knock one of them out because i wonder if that's what avilson was trying to go for because you're playing a boxer well no everybody he was just look whoever makes whoever stands at the end stands at the end is going to get this he did he did Direct Karate Kid, right? And yeah. That's the, oh, yeah. the, the, the All-Valley Tournament, right? Karate Kid. He just needed to get everybody. He was the underdog. I mean, they even did a documentary <laughs> right. that I did an interview for with wow. Stallone called the, I think it was called King of the Underdogs or something, because mm. all his films had that theme, you know? Yes. And he was really amazing at it. Yeah. So um, just put you all in the room so you could fight it out. So yeah, I mean, this thing went <laughs> Fantastic. on. Fantastic. This, this thing went on brilliant. for like eight, eight weeks. And my man- Eight weeks going to the gym? And all of it. Are you auditioning anymore? Back, oh yeah, I'm going back to his house, reading with women, the, the you know, the redhead, oh, Faye Masterson's flown over from England. I mean, you God. know, it's a casting, the movie is a casting in itself. You're spending you know? millions of dollars on this prep. Yeah, so I go I up mean, to this other, another fancy house of John Avildsen's and I'm sitting by the pool, <laughs> I'm getting a sandwich, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to talk to him. He's like, how's the training going? And then, you know, now it becomes about fight choreography, so we're actually going in there doing rounds, but, you know, and it's John comes at the end of the day after we train with the trainers, right. and he videos it, right, and stuff. Then he goes back, cuts the video, looks at it, and, you know, and he's in this thing. My agents and, and manager at the time fascinating. Uh, said to me, you know, Stephen, we can't, guarantee anything here if you want to stop you can stop because right. we've never seen anything like this i've never heard like anything studios like this kind of the studio i think wants him to wrap it up so now it comes time it comes <laughs> it comes like, time just creating yeah. john can you please so it's after, a lot of money after, he was really just trying to build a teenage fight club yeah i think so <laughs> so after six this. weeks after six weeks i finally get the call there's a deal they want to do a test deal which means we're going to do a screen test right. so i'm going to go to warner brothers and now do a screen test of some of these fights i've learned of some of these key acting scenes with the girl, and 
I don't know who's in the test. Oh, you're going to do fights in the test, too? Oh, yeah, with a ring, the whole period, the whole fucking thing. Dean wow. Semler shooting the test. He on just the won the Oscar. Yeah, he just won the Oscar for Dances with the Wolves. And Dean Semler. <laughs> Dean Semler's like the hottest Christ. DP in town, and he's shooting this test. And I show up, and there's this six-foot-three South African, like, God-looking dude. <laughs> you know, and he had the body, he had the fucking muscles, and he was just genetically... Superior. Superior to me. Yeah. But he couldn't act. To almost everyone. He oh. couldn't act. Oh. So he looked amazing. He looked kind of like a young Dolph Lundgren. I remember going, I'm not going to fucking get this. You know, I'm not going to get this fucking part. And I just kind of kept... I just kind of, in my heart, said, look, it's a, at the end of the day... Oh, wait the a acting, minute, wait a minute. The I acting just, is what's important that here. That guy was there to go against you? Oh, yeah. Oh, and I so thought was, he was like an act with you. No, 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 no. He was, oh, re, like, he was going for PK. Yeah. This is who you're going up against. Yeah, he was going for PK, me, and there was <laughs> like two other crazy. guys. So I fucking get there. I shoot the, the test, and, and a week later, uh, I'm driving. I haven't heard anything. It's been very quiet. I'm like, oh, man. Whatever. Well, what was the test like, though? Let's not just glaze over there. Big, that. I mean, big test, you know, boxing, you know, two two rounds of boxing, you know, in the township. Uh, they have, a, like, a mini set, you know, on the on stage. stage. Then, then you go, and they had a prep school set, and we do, you know, get in the uniform and do more of the, like... Doing wardrobe makeup. Young, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, the whole thing. And I'm next to this, wow. you know, superior kind of athlete guy who I just... <laughs> there was no comparison. The guy was right. just a... A, like a, a machine, but he yeah. couldn't act. He had a bad yeah. accent. He couldn't act. He was South African, but you couldn't understand him. Right. I'm going in doing dialect. I left that out. There's a South African English dialect. That you had to learn. How did yeah. you learn it? So I met this incredible woman uh, who I worked with uh, for years after named Julie Adams, who John Avildsen hooked me up with and who did the movie. And she was just but you, let's She just was amazing. Thing, Stephen, you do have a, a weird gift for accents like what you did in backbeat with the Liverpool Well she worked accent. with me on that too. But you nail it. It's like yeah. people who are from there go like, dude, that you're not from there? Yeah, no. I mean, she, You have a she, weird she, thing with that. You can I do learned, it well. I learned a lot on that movie just because I mean, it was beyond just wow. Wait, I, but can I understand one thing? So so all these kids that you were in the gym with, all these up and coming kids at that time, they started falling off. That's what I'm saying. And now it ends and up between quitting. you and the South African. Yeah, and I think quitting. Me and the South that's African so and like two other people, I think. I but remember. no one you can even remember. Mm-mm. And all right, so I want to say goes, maybe Sean Astin too. Hmm. But I kind of in my mind, he, he was I, my still instinct kind of a was big like, movie it, actor at the time. Yeah, and Toy Soldiers, I think, was coming out or something like that. It was a big studio release. I, yeah. mean, I don't know that it did he well, but at the time, some, yeah, he still had. You know, it was before Rudy and all that, but he still had this kind of thing. He was in you know those big movies as a kid. Yeah, the, the post Goonies bump. Yeah. Yeah, but they didn't know if he was going to be a leading man or the Rudy guy. It ends up you're Rudy. You <laughs> right. know, you're not Frodo yeah. Baggins. You're the other dude. Right. Right. And that's what you're great at. You know. But I think right. that, that that's what careers have to end up doing. You have to, you Evolve know, kind of. And you find ultimately where right. you're meant to be, I guess. But yes. the, you know, for me, John Avildsen called. Uh, they ca- he called me. So and, week and goes I'll by. Never you're forget, I'll never forget right. this. Yeah. What are you driving first of all at this point? Um, well, I, I, you know, the good thing about, you know, the fact that I didn't have to, you know, my mom didn't and dad didn't steal my money. So they saved my money for Mm -hmm. me. So when I, when I became 16, I bought a BMW convertible, which I thought I was real hot shit, but I bought it myself. And, uh, what color and was it? It was black and black. like tan, I think. <laughs> anyway, I, I get it. At 16, you are kind of hot shit. Right, you are hot shit. You're 16 years old and a being convertible. You for yourself? Yeah. So I get home and my mom says, you have to make a phone call to John Avildsen. You yeah, know, there's no cell phones. cell phones. No, so I go home That's and I great. call John Avildsen. He gets on the phone. He's like, hey, Stephen, 
Um, and I've only talked to John on the phone maybe once through this whole two-month process. So I'm starting to, you start to get to know somebody when you're working almost every day on yeah. something, even if you haven't gotten the part yet. So it was kind of ludicrous. Anyway, to make a long story <laughs> short, he said, um, I've got some unfortunate news for you. And my just my heart, just all that work. But what a dick. He's like, you got the part. <laughs> what a dick. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. And I was like, are you serious? And, and, and I just fucking hung up the phone. I just went ape shit. And I was like, I got it. I got it. You know? And then everything changes. And then, you know, and then I fucking went to Africa and Zimbabwe for six months or four months or whatever it was. And then we went to London for like another three months. I mean, that whole movie was like a year of my life with yeah. the training, with the auditioning, with the it was just it was just epic. And then after I went to Europe and I was like, wow. This... And that's 17 to 18. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I got back to L.A. and I... Uh, and But now you're back in L.A., right? So let's just set this yeah. scene for a second because you've been in this whirlwind. And also you're going first class, you're at hotels, you have chaperones, I'm presuming, right? I, like, had, a, I had a guardian, yeah, this guy Tony who came with me who worked for my manager. And, and was he cool or weird? He was cool. Okay. No, he was a cool guy. And, right. then, and then my mom and dad uh, and my brother came over to London to visit me. It was cool because it was the first time we'd ever gone to Europe as a family. It was, It was definitely a... Uh, an amazing journey, you know, and I and I credit John because he never, you know, I had started smoking uh, around that time, and um, not the e-cigarettes, no. And uh, I remember <laughs> I'd be like, like I'd work, I work my ass off, you know, for, mm -hmm. for this guy. I mean, I, there was never a day where I wasn't, I wasn't, I was not lazy. I was not, but he would come up to me, and he'd see me maybe having a break or smoking a cigarette with somebody, and he'd just be like, "This is why I hired you," and I was like, <laughs> "What?" Wow. And he, he'd be like, he'd be like, you know, you should be in the gym. What are you doing? You're smoking the cigarette. What? I mean, what do you? You know, when you see this movie, years from now, you'll look at yourself and you'll wonder why I didn't work harder, and I and just walk away. Was wow. he right? And I and I just was like, this guy's never happy. What do I have to do? <laughs> what do I have to do to this to make this guy happy? But was something in what he did? Wow. He just. He just programmed me in a way that always made me aware and alert of the fact that whatever movie you're doing, whatever part you're doing, whether it's a genius film or a bad movie, that shit's going to be there forever. Whether it creeps up on HBO at midnight, whether it's <laughs> in the full rotation because it was a hit, mm -hmm. whether it's a terrible movie and ends up on Cinemac, whatever it is, you better be damn good because it's you up there. Right. And he's like, it's not me. You'll have to explain to your kids why you didn't work harder and why you looked that way. And, and walk away and it just basically would just put me through the ringer and and I don't and I think he was just that kind of person you know and in years later working with all the directors I have you know Oliver Stone said something similar to me when I was doing World Trade Center just gonna ask you this do you he find came the up best to me, directors I, I thought I nailed this big scene where I come out outside the 9-11 and, and I look out and I have a tear in my eye and I thought that's what he wanted and he's like is this why I hired you and walks away same thing yeah and, and I said it, it, before take two and I was just like oh God, this guy geez, again guys. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there's some kind of manipulation thing that some of these captains do that is interesting and but wait, for when a he young did that, person what did it do to you did you go in the gym and train when oliver did that to you did you change it made me feel guilty every time day? i had a cigarette it made me feel like i don't deserve to even have five minutes to talk to this cute girl or anything i i have to always be working till i'm puking basically <laughs> so he basically like just implemented me with this fucking work ethic that i think has has kept with me forever and i mean i even tell john like i told john before he passed away and when i did that interview for that documentary i said that john avildsen couldn't have been a a better director for me to start with because the guy was intense mean at times he's a total 
a filmmaker in his head. He knows cameras. He knows shots and how to shoot a fight scene better than anybody. I mean, this was his wheelhouse, only doing a period kind of love story about right. apartheid, too. Right. So it was, and, and taking the reins of a, a, a majorly famous book that they teach in colleges. And, you know, but it's great. I mean, people still to this day, they say that they. They screen the movie at colleges and then how much? How, well, it's an important. Uh, it's an important. Yeah, piece it was Hans, of time Hans Zimmer's first score before, uh, and then he two years he got nominated and then he lost, and then two years later I think he did The Lion King and it was pretty much the same score and won. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Why not? Zanzenina, dum 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 dum. You know, it's like the same fucking score. But anyway, okay. So wait, let me. I, I want to ask one question, then I want to set the scene when you get back to LA. But one yeah. question you you brought up. The Oliver Stone, the World Trade Center film, which I love. But when he get, when he told you that after the and you thought the tear in the eye, and then he tells you, now is is this what I hired you for? When you went back, do you remember if you changed anything on the second take? Uh, I think I think uh, I just I tried to give him what he wanted, you know. And he's he Oliver. I hadn't I, you know I on that movie I kind of just uh, I really wanted the part. He thought I was didn't look the part he thought I was too cute he kept saying and you know you know and I kept saying well Oliver I'm an actor you know you know I, I, I can become the guy that's what I'm saying I need to go meet Scott Strauss I need to go hear how he sounds I need to see how he looks and and then put it together with you that's kind of what I like doing about my job and and then finally he gave me the part and um uh, and I was sent to uh L.A. because we they rebuilt 9/11 and the Howard Hughes hangars, you know, by the whole World Trade Playa, Center. They Playa rebuilt Playa del Vista, yeah, Playa del Vista. So they built wow. like the shell of the. the I mean, was, yeah, there were helicopters shooting, and while we were that trying must to have been shoot, s- it was pretty intense. I know? mean, all right, wait, but we're gonna get there because yeah. I want to go back. So now you, you, you this is life altering, but yeah. yet. This is a big thing as an actor. You get back to L.A., no one really knows. They know you got the part. People in the business know. Oh, after Power of One. Yeah, after Power of One, but the but the fanfare hasn't started. The promotion hasn't started. So really, you're back now. You have money in the bank. Got a nice yeah, car. A bit, yeah. But everything's kind of the same, right? You still got to go out and audition, right? Nothing's really launched yet after no. this incredible year. Yeah, no, I mean, it was... You know. So what do you do? You land back in L.A., and are you starting to audition right away? You know, because once this thing hits, everything changes. I think once, I think, yeah, I think Backbeat was the next uh, big one because they were, for some reason, casting, trying to find Stuart Sutcliffe. They had Ian Hart, who was playing Lennon, and they wanted to look in L.A., and I went in, worked with this same lady, Julie Adams. I said, we got to find this accent now and i went up to laurel canyon she was this hi- very hippie lady i don't know where she is this now, is your follow-up to power one pretty much i mean i did wow. uh, i think yeah 90, 90 jason what you got judgment night well uh, judgment night was a big judgment payment was, day. that was a big night, payday. i think judgment night was was it before backbeat it, it, it released i don't know how it was recorded huh. how it was taped and but it went judgment 90 93 and then backbeat 94 and here's what I can remember, just to let our audience get a, a moment in time. I remember that when you got Judgment Night, it was that first thing where it was like, I'm just going to embarrass you. It was like, Stephen Durf got like $5 million to do this movie. It was like a whole shitload of money. And no one at that level or our age had gotten that. And I was like, what the fuck? He's doing a movie in a trailer, an RV, and it's going to be downtown? How much money are they giving him for this? Is it Jeremy Piven? Fuck that. And we were all just miserable. <laughs> Fucking Dorf. You're getting this. Like Now it's like, of course he got it. But... There's that moment, right? That didn't happen yet. Everything's calm. You're back in L.A. And you don't have Judgment Night. You said, okay, Backbeat comes across. You're going to do that. And this is, if anyone well, out there hasn't weird. seen it, watch this. That's what was weird was it, my first couple big films, uh, 
I was playing English. So, you know, I meet these directors in L.A., like you said, going on audition. I met Sidney Pollack, and he was like, I want to meet that guy from Power of One. And they thought I was English. South African. I'm like, no, I'm from the Valley, dude. <laughs> you know? And uh, I met Tom Stoppard, the famous playwright, and he's like, he, he couldn't believe that I was not English. What did you I was Tom like, Stoppard for? Uh, Do you remember? I think for the same thing with, with Sidney Pollack. Wow. I think it was a general. They wanted to meet me for something, and then maybe the movie didn't happen. Or But this is what happens is but you start I, to become that person But I person never got who's... to play an American. That's what was weird. Was I never could just fucking talk in my voice. So Until I was getting, judgment night. you know, because the Jude Laws, the Ewan McGregor's, all the guys that were kind of in my age group were go going up for those things, but weren't landing the parts yet. So then they started popping, having careers, and then huh. the English thing seemed to go out the window, and I started playing American again because they had their little yeah. crew of actors out there. You but know? it was back in the day when we weren't really accepting British actors as British. We're like, we got this. Yeah, we, we have no, good it was, actors it was here very that weird. can play British. And those guys were out, all out there mm -hmm. trying to get there, and they were probably doing BBC stuff and trying to get that film, but they, they were getting close, but they didn't get them. And then they became, they popped, and so therefore... The American doing the English stopped happening as much because those guys kept doing it. They wanted to keep it over in their pond, you know. And yeah, then, why not? And then and they now, came over to ours. And now all the English do all of our American, American superheroes. We're going to do the American accent. It's like the uh, British version of Tootsie. You know, it's like, oh, no, I'm American. What do you mean? I'm not British. It's like, fuck you. All right. So, so we, you're starting to work on Backbeat, and then Power One's the first thing that comes out, right? So how does this start lifting? What's the first kind of ripples you remember as life starts kind of changing in your orbit? I mean, I remember the movie coming out and, and having a big release, but not it, it didn't do the, the, the... It wasn't the kind of movie that, even though it had a lot of heart and, and made a lot of people feel something, it had a little bit of a negative backlash, a little bit with hmm. the whole... Apartheid? Kind of white hope kind of thing, a little mm. bit, like this white guy coming to... When, in the book, that's what the book was a white guy that's growing up in in south africa going to a private school and in, in 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 a in a rich neighborhood in in, right. in south africa and he meets people in the township and it affects his life and kind of through boxing and through you know wanting it to be better and not wanting this to happen he lends his voice yeah, and using his station in life yeah, yeah. and and so for me you know, it had it had it had mixed stuff but the movie was uh you know went on to be one of arnon milchin's favorite films he produced and and uh you know got to work with dean semler and all these great actors and you know i mean it was a it was a beautiful movie i mean and then know, backbeat comes out pretty close right to it Backbeat, yeah, it was like, well, it came out like 94, like you said, but I think I made it in 93. I mm -hmm. think I made Backbeat, and then I think I went and did Judgment Night after, mm -hmm. but I think probably. Judgment Night came out first because it was a big, bigger studio. Right, and Judgment Night was, that was your real, like you had the Warner Brothers release on that, now this was an action film, like this is like, okay, now we're yeah, going to put Yeah, it was like Steven a Larry Gordon kind of yeah. programmer, Emilio Estevez was a big star at the mm -hmm. time, he had just done like those stakeout movies, I think With he Richard was- Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, I think he was- you know, making a shit ton of money on oh, that. Yeah. He was the the big player on that cast, and then Cuba Gooding too, and then I think me and Dennis Leary were like next, and then Jeremy Piven, and there was some others, and Everlast was in that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh. You see what I'm seeing? A lot here, of people Jason? remember. A lot of people remember the soundtrack more than the movie, yeah. I think, because the soundtrack was actually. Um, really inventive happy walters did it it was happy like, walters it was like a, found house of pain and yeah, cypress putting, putting hard rock with rap and, and yep. doing all that almost like what rick rubin did with walk this way back in the day and you know? yeah and beastie boys but you know taking a the little punk. bit harder with more like yeah. anthrax and, and yeah. oh the soundtrack's insane have you ever heard it oh yeah absolutely. Oh, it's fucking unbelievable <laughs> it, it really it <laughs> You got Onyx on there. You yeah. got I, it's a, good you know, a bunch of hard rock stuff going but, on. I remember. A lot of my a lot of my films over the years, the soundtracks are, are are kind of these unknown 
not unknown, but they're kind of gems, you know, like even the SFW soundtrack. Well, that that was a that's was that's inc- a great incredible. incredible. You know, the movie wasn't really it wasn't a huge success, but mm-hmm. it was. But the soundtrack we had like you know we broke every band on that soundtrack from Hole to you know Marilyn Manson to. No one had heard of these people uh, before this uh, movie yeah. came out, but that was the thing about that movie too. And Kurt Cobain so really loved that movie too, and he then he died. He was going to give us music. Made. Yeah, he oh, was. He was, was going to give us music the first time he was going to give his music to a film, and uh, um, we got Courtney in the end and Hole, but but right. they they kind of locked everything up once he passed. And I remember doing a I'll never forget I was doing an interview with MTV when MTV was really big and they would cover junkets you know, remember mm-hmm. when mtv yes you know kurt, of course kurt loader and, and they had the that. big square mic thing yeah right? yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so i'm doing a press kurt junket loader. for backbeat in san antonio texas is this when you're dating helena christensen or is this i don't, you don't, I don't remember i can't remember uh-huh. but I, can. I, I was doing I, remember. <laughs> <laughs> I remember so i go do this uh i go do this um yeah, interview now you can, now you're trying to remember in the middle of the no in the middle of the interview kurt loader or one of the people interviewing me said kurt cobain just died and got it in his ear and i was just like oh fuck what and it was just that was a huge i don't know i don't know if it was like if no, i was, if i was around when when lennon was alive i'd probably felt the same thing when he got killed but you I know, was, for somebody to take his own life that was that talented and meant so much to me too i loved his music i just you know i was kind of blown away by that and i remember being 19 or 20 just 20 when i when I found that out and it was in the middle of this press junket which was so weird that we were doing a press junket in San Antonio, Texas for a Beatles movie but it, we, we <laughs> used to save money sometimes they would like take two movies and go to one place and invite all the press so you could kind of split the junket it was one of those I think Huh. and I think it was us and four weddings and a funeral and we were in San Antonio, Texas it, it didn't make any sense Did you party was, with you Grant? Uh, no, but I met them I met I met him in, uh, in uh, Sundance because I recently did uh I recently did the Andy Cohen show when Deputy came out, and uh, and Elizabeth Hurley was on the show with me. How was that? She's really hot still. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, and Andy was yeah. trying to set us up, and uh, but she was kind of jet lagged and kind of you know. Um, I'm sure it's a. Yeah, they also serve you long. drinks on that show too. They yeah. add, they ask your publicist what you want to drink before you go to the show. Which, oh, so they're loosening you up right now. Yeah, away. they're loosening you up. All right, wait, I'm going to stop you. I want to back up okay, because I want right, to get, right. so we're at, we're at, this is just But Liz Hurley reminded me that I met them in Sundance because she was with you when, when Four Weddings and Funeral and Backbeat had all the, had all the love going into Sundance before Weddings ended up being the big money maker. Yeah, isn't that weird? Because everyone was talking about Backbeat and every, this movie, Backbeat, The Fifth oh. Beatle, it is, it is just a fucking tragic film. Like this guy had, I mean, no luck, yeah. Sutcliffe. It's like, come on. And it's like you just played him so poignantly. But okay, so we'll get there. So now these two movies come out. You get this big offer for Judgment Night. And everything's popping, right? So Judgment Night comes out. What are you thinking? Where are you at? Like, have you developed a a strong group of friends? Because now, remember, right? I remember you. You're hanging out at, you know, the newsstand with Hartwell. And, you know, you're taking Hartwell on private jets with you, going places. You know, he was showing me pictures the other day of, like, him in the back of a private jet with you and, like, some model. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, ah, oh, we were good. Stephen took me somewhere, some some foreign land. I'm like, what the fuck? What was going on? So what was going on back then? I mean, my good friends were, I had some friends that were actors. and, and But, you know, Hartwell was one of my, yeah, was still one of my best friends. I mean, he had this newsstand on Melrose and Martell, and a lot of actors would go and hang there. In between, you know, oh, what are you doing today? Well, I got I got a call back at the Warner lot. I got to go over the hill, or, and then you'd meet up at the newsstand, and you know, maybe get a date for the evening, maybe you know, 
Chuck Pacheco was working there. Smoke a doobie, <laughs> uh, you know, hang out with David Arquette. It was kind of, um, you know, the, out, the Outsider's time, too, yeah. that oh, TV show. That's right. You know, so a lot of those guys were hanging out and and Davey. And, and, and it was really a great time on Melrose. It's a lot different than it is today. It was a really awesome... Uh, well, there was no internet, first of all. So as you guys started growing in, you your... wanted to read magazines. You right. wanted to see what was going on because you you did you couldn't just Google something and you know. And then you started wanting to see yourself in the magazines because it starts coming out, and the only way you can see it is to go there and look at it or buy yeah. it because you can't go online and be like, oh, that came out, that picture. It was not like today. Yeah. So it was the only it was like a real central hub, Jason, where people had to go read shit and talk and interact. Yeah. It, and it I thought great cool. art came out of it. And look at all the people at a time frame. You know, it was like Toby and you and Leo and. Fucking! I mean, all these people coming up at this point. Yeah. It's like I'm not necessarily seeing that today. I'm not, you know, sh- throwing shade on any young talent, but I'm just saying I don't see this artistic movement that I saw at this time. Yeah. Which is why, again, so now all this shit's hitting. What are you doing? Judgment Night comes out. Where are you at in your head? I think I, you know, I just kept going. So like as Judgment Night came out, I, you know, I was shooting. I think SFW at the time, and there was a string where I did like three movies for Polygram. They were a big studio at the time, so right. they did Backbeat, they did SFW. Um, SFW was kind of perfect for me at that time because I was going through that whole Gen- Generation X movement. It was kind of the uh, the kind of antithesis to uh, kind of Natural Born Killers a little bit. It yep. was kind of the small indie. But it was really ahead of its time when you look at what happened with reality TV and, and oh yeah, and so crime. fucking what it stands for. You should go out and or download it. I guess people don't go out anymore and stuff. But watch it. Yeah, so it was a, it was a uh, it was I the mean, punk movement in Salt Lake City, right? Or was it uh, where was it? T- where did it take place? No, it took place in L.A. LA. In, in the Valley, but we mm-hmm. shot in that old hotel off Wilshire. You know, that was uh, yes, that crazy old hotel that yeah, um, was there uh, a bar there? or Was it? We built a bar there. And then, <laughs> I don't know. Reese Witherspoon See? was a baby. She was in it and. Jake Busey and all these crazy people and and Jeff just really kind of made a, a a rock star out of this character and therefore I really got into it and and kind of took this grunge thing with me mm-hmm. as I left that part. Yeah, you never really <laughs> dropped it. And then I was then I was like I think back in England doing some another Polygram movie that wasn't so good that was like a movie that never I don't even think came out but I was playing English again. So they fall out of your head even like you're like it was some movie I don't really know what it was it was yeah. a job. I mean I dyed my hair white after Kurt Cobain you know I, I like had bleached hair after SFW I think that's when I was maybe had uh, the Helena Helena Christensen romance. Yeah, romance for a moment there. I was twenty one. I was very. Um, You're twenty one years old now. Have you yeah. bought a house at this point? Are you where are you living? What are you doing? I uh, I think I was renting. Uh, I was renting a house. Uh, I mean, I always rented because I kind of lived movie to movie because I always liked spending money and uh, <laughs> and I I almost you know when I ran out of money. I mean, at one point I was living at the Chateau Marmont. I ran out of money. You're there. still fucking living at the Chateau Marmont. Yes. I mean, like you don't Disaster. really like they love you there. You're, sure. You're like I want to live there so much. I'm going to do a movie with Sofia Coppola there. Like, like yeah, it's, well, like, that, it's just weird. Every decade it seems to kind of I end up back there, but um, I'm. About to get out of there, uh-huh, sure. but uh, but uh, <laughs> what call it? The um, yeah, no, I mean, I just kept kind of moving, and and then like you know, as a movie. But you're renting places. You're not. So you're not. You're really transient. You're yeah, not no. putting down the first any house. Roots. I, the first house I ever bought um, was when I was thirty, which was my Malibu. House. It was Malibu, and you just recently got rid of it. I just sold it. Yeah, fifteen years later, I sold it. Okay, so that's really you take a long time in your sort of maturation. Maturation is that the word you say? Maturation. Yeah, that works for me. All right, maturation. I can't. Then I started yeah, buying more and getting. You know, I mean, I did. Right. The first thing I actually spent money on before I owned a house was art. You know, I bought. I bought like a Warhol canvas. I bought Are you a big art collector. I just always loved art, and I was always around such great. Um, 
friends of mine in New York, like Tony Shafrazi and all these guys that were, you know, s started Basquiat and, and Keith Haring. And I just kind of what was, was his blessed, name? Uh, Tony Shafrazi. He's just Shifrazi. a great art dealer and just kind of an art guru. And through Tony, I met Ed Ruscha. I met all these great artists. And then I, wow. I, I just started uh, buying stuff. Trying to, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of great things that I, in retrospect, wish I had bought. But uh, what was the Warhol thing you bought? I bought a camouflage painting when I, in in like 2000, which was uh, wow. uh, it was like after Blade, and and I uh, I just splurged on it. And my business manager was like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm buying a a painting, <laughs> and, and it's a painting. It's not a print." And they didn't understand that I was buying a. Like one-off painting an you know, investment. I, I said this is like i'm in with the big boys here right if i can splurge a little then these things are at real assets forever whereas if you buy certain prints they're assets forever and Maybe. they go up but if you're buying the one-off pieces it's it's another game you know and wow. i said i and i you know so i kind of like you know those business managers didn't want me to buy my malibu house either because i didn't really have enough money at the time to uh, you know but i said look if you don't stretch and you don't gamble a little bit you're never going to get on the fucking beach you did know? you always live as if I kind of always gambled a little bit, you know. I always just kind of went for it, you know. Were you visualizing it in your mind? Like, were you seeing these parts like you already had them in the house on the beach and the car like you wanted? Not really. Mm -hmm. Not really, you know. You just worked. Yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's weird. Like, years later, you know, it's like I just finished the season of Deputy. So I went pretty, we went hard for about five months on that. It wasn't mm -hmm. as long as True Detective, but that was about seven. But, mm -hmm. you know. I don't get tired, you know. I mean, I'm I'll, I'll go right now. You know, some people are like, <laughs> "I'm dead after the season." I'm I'm like immediately like I rap, yeah, like, I wake, I wake up, I realize I'm not playing the part right now, and then I'm like, "What the fuck am I gonna do next?" You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You, well, you, there's a little voice in your head that goes, "You're just gonna sit here and not do nothing right I now." Is I, that why? I, is that why I hired you? Is that why I hired you? I think I'm best when I'm working and when I'm in a routine. Because you know, if I'm just sitting yeah. around, if I'm sitting around L.A. doing nothing, I I tend to. Uh, not be happy you know i mean i tend to just you know the town is kind of i have a love-hate relationship with la so mm -hmm. recent recently after spending some time in some different kinds of towns like spending seven months in arkansas there was something kind of beautiful and simple about being in a town that wasn't la and new york you know mm -hmm. and i started kind of liking seeing maybe why my brother loved nashville so much so you know i i did in honor of my brother who passed a few years ago uh i bought soul. this farm uh in honor of him and i've been doing all this work in as, nashville yeah as i've been oh, shooting wow. the show i've been uh, getting the main house ready and so my idea is named to, it, the, uh, the farm? i'm gonna yeah I'm, uh, it's gonna be called the endorphin ranch which was andrew's <laughs> publishing company because like he always nice. did he always did a play, really a play nice. on words and so i'm gonna have the cool plaque like old school like on the gate you know the endorphin ah. ranch because ultimately what i want to do is do kind of outdoor kind of concerts and things for andrew's charities we have a non-profit for him me and my dad and my yeah let's let, what are the yeah. we're gonna get to everything about andrew but i want to yeah. we're gonna pump it twice tell me the charities now so people can donate and then we're gonna say it again later well i mean i have to get the real thing from my dad but i mean it's basically a non-profit that you know puts money into a lot of okay. things that andrew Loved, which is uh, you know the Nashville Vanderbilt Children's Hospital. Uh, money goes to my brother loved elephants. Yes, he did. God bless weird, him. Right? So, it's just a weird you know, money, thing. Money to elephants. Money to <laughs> you know wherever the wherever whatever Andrew loved, we put the money in, and we we mm -hmm. and and uh, my dad's really spearheading that because I've been a little busy, but I uh, a little bit. I I, I uh, attend every event, and I attend you know uh, we've done it now two years in a row, I think. So it's getting bigger and bigger, and. Uh, we get all these great friends of Andrews and acts to come and play, and and all that money raised goes to 
things that uh, can Andrew keep loved. yeah keep Andrew's uh, legacy alive through helping people and through his songs that are still on being the charts re- being recorded yeah oh so, and still being recorded oh yeah. I didn't know that oh yeah still. like like me and Aunt, me and my dad um, we have like fifteen hundred songs with Universal that are still wow. On the, in the okay, catalog. So wait, we're going to yeah. get, because I really want to spend a moment about Andrew, who I just love, you know. Yeah. But, okay, so, okay, Nashville. Since I'm thinking we need like Andrew. a 10-hour podcast. I know, well, <laughs> I can go through, believe me, and I'm learning so much about you that believe I don't me, even have any idea. Always come in here with a hard out, otherwise. Hard, yeah, otherwise <laughs> you'll never leave him. You leave you. and it's like midnight in Burbank. Yeah.